slightly west of Israel. <laughs> Vinny, nice to see you, bro. We went to Israel. Yes. <laughs> it's Vinny. No, you did good. You did really good. When are you going back to Dallas? Oh, really? You're leaving? Okay. That's a great kid, your son. Mama's influence, I think. Great, great guy. Charlie? Here we go. <laughs> Just when you think there's problems there, you come back here <clears throat> and it hits you right in the face. <laughs> we'll tell you about Israel in bits and pieces as things unfold, and then I'll tell you this in advance, so if you're not interested, you don't have to come. Wednesday night, I'm going to take liberties and... Uh, depart from the series we're in and show some pictures and talk about our experience there. Vinny, are you coming? Yeah. Okay, see if you can do it. What are you doing up in Dallas anyway? Is that part of Texas even? (laughs) Oh, man. So we're in Israel and... uh, Vince got sick, so uh, we went to a doctor, and he was an Arab doctor in the uh, area, and he was looking at uh, Vinny's name, and what's your name, Marchi, Marchi? And Vince said, well, Marky, Marky, and he kept saying, Marchi, Marchi, it's Italian. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's Italian. And uh, he said, so uh, do you speak Italian? And Vince, uh, no, no, don't speak Italian. Been to Italy? No, no. And I'm thinking, why is this doctor taking such an interest in, is this like a, some kind of interrogation to see if he's a terrorist or something? I don't know what is going on. And it turns out the doctor went to medical school in Italy and just loves Italy and Italian people. And Vincent Marchi, Italian name, couldn't come up with one Italian word, <laughs> not one to kind of put the doctor at ease and maybe win his favor, nothing. So we tried to supply him later. Paparazzi, you know, stuff. Luke chapter 2, it's great. You'll love it. It's the Word of God. Don't take it for granted. It's God's word. Think about it. I never saw God. Probably most of you would say the same. I have not heard him audibly. Most of you would say the same. But he communicated himself. And here it is. It's the Bible. It's wonderful. Uh, Brother Chuck took us, the class, to verse 35 last week. I hope I got it right, Brother Chuck. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. I studied the wrong thing if that's not the case. But what you, what you spoke about, I believe, was a man named Simeon in the temple. And he was looking, it says, for the consolation of Israel. That's another way of saying for the Messiah. 
He was expectant of the Messiah. Here comes the baby Jesus. And Simeon, the text says by revelation, recognized him to be the Messiah. And now you see something else related to it. Now in verse 36, there was a prophetess. Her name was Anna. Another name for Anna is Hannah or Hannah. Same name means grace or favor. Says she was a prophetess. You know, sometimes we could miss what that means to have the gift of prophecy, to be a prophet, male, or prophetess, female. Um, do you know their major emphasis was not telling the future? It was telling the truth that was available to them then. So someone made this distinction. I think it's really good. The gift of prophecy was not primarily foretelling. It was forth-telling. So we can discern that this lady had the gift of seeing, rightly handling, and declaring biblical truth. So that's what she is defined as, a prophetess. She's the daughter of Phanuel. I don't know why we're told of her lineage one day. That's one of the questions we could ask of the Lord. I know it's significant. I just don't get it. She's of the tribe of Asher. We know that's one of the ten northern tribes of ancient Israel. She's advanced in years, an elderly woman. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. They were married for seven years. It appears uh, through circumstances we're not told of, he died. She was widowed. And so it says, then as a widow to the age of 84. She's an elderly lady. She's a widow. She never left the temple, not literally, it means she was there all the time when they were in session. It doesn't mean she never left the temple, see, because women were not allowed to stay in the temple overnight. It means whenever, if I can bring it to our day, church was meeting, she was there. And uh, she served night and day, and this is how she did it, with fastings and prayers. You know what's a sad thing? When people get older, um, there's a high rate of depression. Did you know that? The so-called golden years are not so golden for a lot of people. You can understand that. Failing health, decreased mobility. Families sometimes are away. You know, children have lives of their own, grandchildren. You don't see them as much. You can't be as independent as you once were. It's hard. It's really rough. For seniors, um, you can sympathize for sure. So there's a high rate of depression. You begin to feel, even as a Christian, not as useful, not as productive. Sometimes elderly Christians even ask. They say, I wonder why the Lord has not taken me home. I don't know what purpose I serve. I don't want to preach to anyone because I'm soon going to be in a different category as well. You know, time marches on. We, we all grow old. Can I commend to you the ministry of prayer? Prayer. During times when mobility decreases and health and all the rest and maybe one's energy level and vigor is limited through the aging process, even the disease process, sometimes you can't make it to the assembly of believers as often as you used to do. Maybe you can't do what you used to do. Please don't feel that you're You've been put out to pasture. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't think there's no use for you. 
What about the discipline of prayer? Do you know how vital it is? It's not, it should not be our last resort. It should be our first. We were in Israel. I see Vinny, and I think Anita's here too. Anita is over there. And, um, there's lots of darkness there. Don't you agree, folks? Amongst the Jewish people, amongst the Muslim people. Just, there's religion all over the place, but it's darkness, darkness. How do you pierce the darkness? Julio, I didn't see Julio. Julio was there. Hello, brother. Um, lots of darkness. How do, you, how do you pierce the We don't have the power to do that. It's real spiritual battle. But you can pray. You can pray. You can pray. And God responds. So don't ever feel. It might be, it could be the most glory. It really could be the golden years. Because you could say now, people's expectations are different. They don't expect for me to do this or to do that. And so now I have undistracted time to devote myself to prayer. Please do so. People need your intercessory prayers. Anyway, that's what Hannah, Anna was, was doing. And at that very moment, the moment is uh, Joseph and Mary, parents of the Lord, bring him to the temple in fulfillment of the law of Moses for his circumcision on the eighth day. So at that very moment, she, Anna, came up and began giving thanks to God. Why is she thankful? Well, she continued to speak of him, the baby, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking for the Redeemer to come. They knew the prophets spoke of him. They were under Roman oppression. They weren't looking for political salvation. They knew it was a spiritual kind of thing. They were a remnant in Israel, those who were looking for redemption. Simeon was part of it. And now Anna, it's as if a good God is saying, this is not a gender thing. You have a man with a messianic hope. You have a woman with a messianic hope. And now their hope is fulfilled, they see, by revelation. You read last week, Simeon knew this by revelation. This is the consolation of Israel. It has to be that way. I hope you know you can't save anybody. You share the message of salvation, of course. You back it up by a transformed life. There's no question about it. But salvation is always the work of God. It's always a miracle. It's always God performing. It's better than the Red Sea's parting. Don't you see? When the darkened heart can behold the Redeemer. Simeon did by God's grace. Anna did. And that's the only way they could know this baby. is. He didn't look much like a Savior, did he? That's a baby. Are you kidding And somehow they knew, and so they began to declare. They declared to others who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know what a sad thing is? There aren't a lot of people who are, whether it be in Israel or America, looking beyond the throes of life, temporal life. You have many, many more people looking for a new administration, perhaps, in the next election. Okay, vote. Do what you want to. But there's no such thing as a political Messiah, the problem is not politics. The problem is sin. That, 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 that requires a different solution to the problem. I'm telling you, hopes are disappointed when you have put undue trust and hope in a, in a political Messiah. I don't care what party it is. They can't do what God can do, but with him all things are possible. Humankind can't fix what humankind is responsible for messing up. Be careful of where you you place your hope. I didn't say shouldn't vote, shouldn't participate. I'm just saying make sure you have your priorities right. And so the salvation Israel needed wasn't salvation from the Roman emperor. 
The baby couldn't, couldn't free them from, but this is the baby. They saw Simeon, Anna. He's the one who would die on their behalf and usher in salvation from sin. Well, verse 39, when they, the they, that's Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. What everything? Well, one was circumcision. That was part of uh, the a rite of passage. It was a sign of the covenant God made with Israel. And so every Jewish male baby on the eighth day had to be circumcised. That's why they were there at the temple. But there was something else they had to do. Purification rite for Mary. When a woman had a baby, she became ceremonially unclean. You might find that hard to understand, but it's true. And so the woman had to go through a purification rite. And they did it. They complied, didn't they? Joseph and Mary, both with circumcision of the baby and purification of Mary. When they did everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. So Julio and Anita and Vinny, let me ask you a question. If you're going from Jerusalem to Galilee, what direction are you going in? Well, I mean, you're going down. That's true. In terms of altitude, is, was that you, Billy? Yeah, man, I've missed your voice, Billy. I've missed it. That's true. You are going down uh, in terms of altitude, but directionally. Uh, east, says Charlie. Okay, Anita, you got it right. You go north. So here's the deal. They're in Jerusalem, and they're traveling north to Galilee. Galilee is the northern province. of. It's where the Lord started his uh, ministry up there in Galilee. They go to Nazareth. There's not much to it. It's 65 miles north of Jerusalem. Small, insignificant town, about 130 people. Uh, agricultural. Nobody goes there. Anyway, they're going back there to Nazareth. When we were in Israel, we had the privilege of serving a Druze community, very closed community, mysterious religion. And uh, the missionary who led us had been developing the territory there for about seven years now. We went now the second time. We were there in January, went there in June. This time things were different. We attracted a little more attention, positive attention. Director of Social Services, a government official came to thank us. Two journalists came uh, to do interviews, and they put it on their website and in their newspapers, and here's how we were described. Notesream from Texas came to our village to serve us. When asked why, they said, we love the God of the Bible, and we know he loves you. Therefore, we have come to serve you in his name printed in an Arab newspaper going out to 2,000 Druze Arabs. We would never gain entrance into their lives. I'm telling you, this was a God thing. But notice the description. Notesream from Texas. Notesream, this is what it means. Followers of the one from Nazareth. <gasps> that is such a good way to be described because if you go... I don't want to hurt anyone, but I'm just telling you the truth. If you go as Baptists, you don't get a hearing. It doesn't work that way. They've been inundated by Christians. And they lump all Christians together. Every stripe, you see. So to be called Notesream, followers of the one from Nazareth. Folks, pardon the expression, that is pay dirt. 
because we want to, to be distinguished from those who are religious, you know, Christians who have done over the years much more harm than good there in the land. And so the people are very callous, turned off, defensive. Uh, they don't want to be won by a tour group who's there for nine days. <laughs> uh, they want to see a changed life. If you're a follower of the one from Nazareth and you think he has something to offer us, let us see something in you. They've already heard the message. That's why they can call us. No stream followers of the one from Nazareth. Now they need a little less declaration and much more demonstration. Boy, that flies in the face of the way we have done evangelism, doesn't does it? Here's the here's the gospel, take it or leave it. Could I tell you something? They will leave it. But not only will they leave it, they may also leave you bloodied and dead on their streets. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. But if you go to serve in the name of Yeshua from Nazareth, then there were open. Now, I know Bob and Kevin had similar experiences in Sudan. We were just talking very, 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 very briefly. We've got to be careful, folks, uh, not to be more concerned about someone's salvation than the Savior is. <laughs> he knows it's a process. It's a process. Sometimes we want to bring a person to a point of decision about the most significant thing in life too soon. Let them see. Let them see. And by the way, isn't that our church... Motto, to be living proof, living proof of a loving God to a watching world. So anyway, we were called Notesreem because that was the boyhood home, it says right there, of the baby Jesus. They went to Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, skill in living life, and the grace of God was upon him. We don't know much about the developmental years of the Lord. We just know he grew. He went through the stages of life. He grew with a facility to live life with skill. He walked with his father. He probably was exposed to scripture. He prayed. He sought to do the father's will. I must tell you, normal. <laughs> uh, the Lord probably performed no miracles as a child. Did you, did, you, did you know that? See, John chapter 2 tells us of his first Miracle. What was it and where was it? Do you remember? Yeah, 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 it was Cana. Remember he turned the water into wine? Remember, he's, he's a transformer. Uh, he, he, he changes things. He's changed us, has he not? He has the power to transform. That was his first miracle. So he probably did not, do, I must tell you this, he probably not, did not do much of an extraordinary kind to attract attention as a child. He probably grew just like everybody else. He probably grew because he waited for a time to inaugurate his public ministry. It wasn't yet. So, he, so the Bible tells us he's growing. He's growing. And now uh, the narrative continues in verse 41. And we fast forward from the birth of the Lord to the time when he's 12 years old. And all we're told about his life from birth to 12 is that he grew. <laughs> That's frustrating, isn't it? Don't you want to know more? Was he athletic? Did he like sports? Who were his friends? Did he do good in school? Don't you want to know the, these things? Well, uh, people write books about it, the early years of Jesus. Do what you want to do. Thank God it's a free country. Just a word of advice. Don't waste your time. It's just speculation. It's sheer and utter nonsense. 
don't don't let speculation be the source of what satisfies your curiosity. I must tell you, try to discipline yourself to go no further than the text takes us. From birth to 12, we have a little bit. He grew in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. You can think, you can imagine. You can, uh, it's a bit of a reverie to think about the Lord's developmental years, but try not to let a book fill in the blanks when the Bible leaves it blank. So now we're in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So uh, someone told me one time, Stuart, you have got to stop being so Jewish (laughs) with the text. This person was very well-intentioned here in this church. An understandable suggestion. But I think this person felt maybe a bit left out. And if I've done that, oh, my goodness, please forgive me. God leaves nobody out. There, there, nobody's better. He is no respecter of persons. And so if I've, if I've insimulated a kind of a class, one class of people higher than another, please forgive me. That is absolutely wrong. I don't mean that. But as far as making the Bible less Jewish, I, I would if I could. But Jerusalem is in Israel. Passover is Jewish. I I mean, if you want, I'll try to make it Italian, but uh, you know what I mean? Vincenzo. I mean, it's Jewish, folks. Feast of Passover. Jews went up to Jerusalem three times a year, pilgrimage, three holidays. Sorry for being so Jewish, but this is the way it is. Uh, One was Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. A second was Shavuot. You know it as Pentecost. See, Penta like like a Pentagon five. It's it's 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. In Hebrew, Shavuot, a week of weeks. Seven times seven, 49 days after Passover. Anyway, three pilgrim feasts, most important being Passover. So being Jews, sorry about this, they were. Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus, but he's not such a baby anymore. You'll see he's 12. And they go to Jerusalem for Passover. It says right there, when he became 12, they went up according to the custom of the feast. What custom? A Jewish male boy at age 13 had a bar mitzvah. It means son of the law. It means at that point, that one becomes accountable to God, not the parents. He is. And so you would start the training for it at around 12. So it's very, very customary at this time uh, for a 12-year-old definitely to be brought to learn at the temple by his parents. So they go up according to the custom of the feast And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, how many days? Well, uh, Passover is actually only one day. But what follows it is another holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Have you ever seen that flat uh, cardboard-like stuff? Matzah, we call it. It, it, There's no leaven in it because in the Bible, leaven is a symbol of sin. We are supposed to be without sin. So on Passover, we eat that matzah 
And, and so you have Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days. So if you add the two together, you get eight days. But the two have both been subsumed under the one name Passover. So today people think of Passover as an eight-day observance. It's actually two holidays, one consisting of one day and the second seven days. So they probably were there for eight days to observe. That's why it says after spending the full number of days, see, they're done now. Now they're going to go home is what happens. But the boy Jesus, remember, he's not a baby now. He's a boy. He's 12 years old, stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents weren't aware of it. Now, wait, this tells us a little something by implication uh, of the Lord, and that is he probably was not a discipline problem because if he was, they would have had him under closer scrutiny. You know how it is with kids. You 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 have a few kids, and if one's a a good child, you you relax the standards, and if one is not so good, you set the boundaries a, li- a little more. So so he probably didn't need a whole lot of boundaries anyway. He stays behind. His parents were unaware of it. What? Call child protective services. How do you, what? Well, let's explain. No, let's let the text explain. Verse 44. They were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. Ah, see, see, see. They didn't travel alone on these pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Sometimes a whole village would go together. Why? Protection from robbers and just the fun of it all. They would celebrate along the way. They'd sing along the way. And the way they would travel is oftentimes by gender. It wasn't a religious deal. It's just that you know how guys talk about different things and ladies talk about different. It's interesting to me. You, if you go out, let's say you, you go out to, to, to dinner with a bunch of guys and gals, particularly married couples, it's interesting to me how oftentimes the guys will sit on one end of the table at the restaurant, the ladies on the other. If it's just two couples, it's interesting to me. Two guys will get in the car in the front and the ladies get in the back. Don't you see? We do? Why do we do this? I'll tell you why. Because we guys talk about important things and... So nothing's new. That's how they did it. The, the men would, you know, be, they're, they're on donkeys, camels. They're walking. They're hanging out together. They're talking about sports or fishing or who knows what. And the ladies are talking about stuff. And it could be possible that Mary thought uh, their, their son was with, her son was with the father. And the father could have thought the son is with the mama. And not only that, people would watch each other's kids. It was a community deal. It was a little different than it is today. And so you'd have boys, especially a 12-year-old who's not a troubled kid, not a rebellious kid. You know, they could, he's hanging out with other kids and, and those kids' parents are watching him. So it's, it's not a case of neglect or child abuse here or anything like that. So they uh, go a day's journey. What? It took them a whole day? Hang on there. A normal day's journey uh, could be 18 to 30 miles. But generally, when pilgrims left Jerusalem on the first day, they didn't travel that long. They packed up their stuff. They got a start. They usually stopped about 10 miles north of Jerusalem in a place called Be'er or Beherot. It's mentioned in the Bible. Today, it's an Arab city in the West Bank near a place called Nablus. Uh, 
we were there. We were nearby it, folks. We went into the West. By the way, the West Bank that you read a lot about today, that's Judea and Samaria, in case you're wondering. It's Judea and Samaria. So they, so they stopped near a place called Nablus, uh, just about 10 miles outside of Jerusalem, realized their son is not with them. And they specifically, pilgrims specifically did this. So if anyone forgot something back in the city, they didn't go too far. They could go back and get it. You know how people forget stuff. In this case, it was a kid. <laughs> so so, <laughs> so uh, they go a day's journey, and they begin looking for him. See, amongst their relatives and acquaintance says, and uh, verse 45, when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, how do you get three days? Okay, one day leaving Jerusalem. One day going back to Jerusalem, and then on the third day they found him. Look where they found him, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. You, you know what another word for teachers is? Uh, uh, rabbis. Just, that's what rabbis teachers. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, uh, there's a distortion of this text, which gives us the suggestion that the Lord was teaching these teachers and uh, amazing them with his breath of knowledge, which far exceeded theirs? No, that's not what happened. He did not yet fully manifest his masked divinity. No. The give and take between student and teacher is a Jewish way of education. Not so much the lecture style, the dialogue style. We call it pill pull. So the student asks a question of the teacher. The teacher asks (laughs) a related question back to the student. That's just how we do it. And so they would have done it in the temple precincts, often in uh, in porticos, which were porches open on one side. One was called the Portico of Solomon. Um, Guys, when we were in Israel, do you remember I pointed out the uh, pinnacle of the temple? That's probably the area where was the portico of Solomon. You read in the New Testament, the apostles hung out there. You would have teachers setting, rabbis setting up shop, and students would come, stand or sit, and there would be this give and take. These teachers were amazed as they as they listened to the give and take. Uh, uh, this child, Jesus, could have asked them a question. They would have answered. They would have asked him a question. He would, he would respond. It was probably very respectful, quite normal. And yet, on the other hand, he surely showed an understanding and an affinity for issues, probably biblical, spiritual issues, beyond a normal 12-year-old, but not in his full divinity yet. Randy? Not really. Um, Randy asks a good question. Could the word teachers be interpreted Pharisees? That was kind of a political party. There were certainly teachers amongst the Pharisees, but mostly these were experts in the law uh, of any political party. They could be Democrats, sorry, or Republicans uh, or Tea Party members. Their role was to was to teach the law of Moses. That, that was primarily their, their role. So uh, he was both listening to them and asking them questions in verse 47. All who heard him 
were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Amazed as with a 12-year-old who is asking things a typical 12-year-old doesn't. But you have to understand he did not yet manifest his glory yet. Everything had to be on his father's schedule. And so it says in verse 47, uh, all who heard were amazed. And when they, his parents, Joseph and Mary, saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, naturally, she's a Jewish mother. So look what she does. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. I kind of added an inflection as if it was my mother saying it to me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, that's what they say. You know why they say it? Mary knows some things about the nature of this special child, but not that much. She had certain things declared at his while she was with him, uh, w- with child, about his special nature. Yet most of the time he just grew according to the normal phases of development that we all experience. So she didn't quite come to grips with his humanity and divinity in one body, and neither do you and I. We can't explain how could it be that this Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time. I don't understand how it works. It doesn't bother me that I don't understand. It makes me worship. I don't have to understand. It's intriguing, but I don't know how it works together. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's an excellent point. How could he be man at all and be perfect? And see that, uh, and that's exactly the deal here. How does it work that he's fully God and fully man? And yet, here's the point: with no mixture of the natures, so his human nature doesn't corrupt his divine nature. Can I use a big fancy term? It's called the hypostatic union. Theologians, it's the hypostatic union of the divine. See, see, Jesus is the son of God, right? And he's also the son of man. The two work together, two natures without any any corruption of one, one or the other. It's a marvelous mystery. Charlie? Okay, and Tom and Billy, then we'll get to you. <laughs> You're right, Tom. And this is the this is the discussion that ensues. To what extent do the do the two natures work together? Because uh, it does say in Philippians, you can read it, that he did not regard his divinity a thing to be grasped, meaning he set it aside. Then it says by taking on human form. He didn't uh, divest himself of his godliness. No way. He added humanness. 
And to what extent, how the two play together, we don't know. Now, Brother Charles has a perspective which is very legitimate and as are other perspectives as well. Billy? Yes. Good point. Thanks for sticking up for Mary, Billy. And I'm sure she appreciates the vote of confidence from one such as yourself. Well, uh, yeah, you're correct. And, and we don't know how all this worked together, but that's right. There were other children as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, thanks for making light of this stuff here. Really appreciate it. Okay, so, uh, so she says what she says. He says, would you like to see the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus? Here they are, verse 49. He said, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Those are the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus. So here we know this. Even at this point, he fully recognized his divine mission. He had to be in his father's house. He had to be about his father's business. His father's business was to seek and to save those who are lost. He's about redemption. And though he grew, as normal children do, physically and in other ways, he was not quite a normal child. He surely knew of the divine mandate which his father put upon him to be the savior of the world. He had to be about his father's business. Verse 50, but they didn't understand the statement which he had made to them, and neither do we fully Don't worry about it. A God fully comprehended is no God at all. Feel free to write that down. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, We're not going, we finite beings, we're not going to fully comprehend the infinite most high God. And one of the reasons for that is so that we'd be led to worship. How great thou art my heavens, that on the divine side, the Lord Jesus could say, the Father and I are one. Same essential nature. Then somewhere else he could say, I came to do the Father's will. Which is it? Yes. (laughs) That's why he's referred to as the Son of God. Same nature as the Most High God. Son of Man. Same nature as us. Yet without sin. He's the perfect God-man. For there is one God, 1 Timothy, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, I don't know how it works. I'm just so thrilled that it does. We'll have better understanding one day. Yes, sir. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's verses 5 and 6. Thank you for putting me on the spot. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2, one God. By the way, uh, when we were in Israel, the Muslim people believe that, one God. The Jewish people believe the God, that, one God. Here's the 
catch, catching point, and one mediator between God and man. The Jewish people don't believe that. The Muslim people don't believe that. They don't believe there is one mediator between God and man. Bob? Yeah, Bobby is saying he ran into a man from Sudan, a Muslim man who had a different perspective on things, uh, particularly about the Lord Jesus, just a messenger. Right, see, so here's the two errors of, uh, we have to watch out. If 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 we deny the humanity of the Lord Jesus, we won't feel safe with him. We won't know he's Emmanuel who can identify with all the stages of life just as we do, yet, yet without sin. But if we err too much on the human side, we'll think he's just a teacher or a messenger and we'll fail to see, oh, my goodness, he is God. You see, so that's the balance we have to maintain. Okay, so uh, they didn't understand. Verse 51, he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and continued, look what Luke records for us, in subjection to them. In subjection to his mother, treasured all these things in her heart. Luke wants to be sure that we don't misinterpret the prior verse as being insolence or rebelliousness on his part. See, on the divine side, he has to be about his father's business. On the human side, he lived in subjection to his earthly parents, which shows this. To submit to divinely ordained authority does not imply inferiority on your part. People don't want to submit because they think it means I'm less than the one I'm submitting to. Not necessarily. The son submitted (laughs) to his parents. He surely was not less than they are. He's just showing us the divinely appointed order of things. Submission to church leadership. Submission to governmental authority, submission to parents. For so long as those authorities do not require something of you contrary to the will of God. If that's the case, as the scriptures say, we must obey God rather than man. See how that works? So abortion, that's not a good thing. But that it's legalized is different than that it be mandated. Though it's legal, its legalization disturbs us and saddens us, but that is not grounds for overturning the government, in my opinion. But if the government required abortion, that is grounds uh, uh, for, for not submitting to the government. We must obey God rather than man. Anyway, you see what I mean? So you see here, the Lord's submission to authority did not mean any inherent inferiority on his, on his part. Somebody have their hand up somewhere? Yes. Oh, no question. The law has to be challenged. You are right about that. You are right about that. Yes. 
Okay, and then this final verse in the text for today. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, folks, a bit frustrating. With regard to 18 years of the Lord's life, from age 12 to age 30, you have this verse and none other to tell us what it was like. Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52 covers the Lord's life from age 12 to age 30 when he began his public ministry. You remember, he was baptized. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then he was immediately led into the desert to be tempted by the evil one. Remember that? And then he began his public teaching, healing ministry. He began to recruit his disciples not at age 30. But for the years from 12 to 18, we have this. We knew there were four dimensions of growth in the Lord's life. The first, he increased in wisdom, not just knowledge, but the application of knowledge so as to live life with skill. Second, stature, physically. He grew physically. Uh, And in favor with God, there was a spiritual, a vertical dimension to his life. He sought to do the Father's will. And not only did he grow in favor with God, this is important. He grew in favor with men. You know what that means? People skills. (laughs) Relational skills. Um, i got to tell you something. It's not just the Middle East. It's anywhere. Sometimes well-intentioned Christians who do have God's favor and love him, have such poor people skills, they are vaccinating people against Christianity. There's no harm in developing relational skills. (laughs) Diplomacy. (laughs) Social skills. I'm not talking about Facebook, that kind of stuff. (laughs) I'm talking about sensitivity to what the situation calls for. You have some who just rush in like a bull in a china shop, meaning well, and, uh, and leaving a lot of broken lives in the wake, uh, uh, which harden against the, the Lord Jesus. We've all people ought to learn self-control and gentleness and kindness. And, and, uh, and you know what you ought to learn? Small talk <laughs> with a view towards letting it lead to big talk. But if we start with big talk, it's just weird. It's just flat out weird. So I'm on the plane going to Israel. And uh, you're on the plane a long time. So I got up to stretch. And uh, there's another guy stretching, but like really stretching. He was doing neat, deep knee bends kind of a deal. And I just, I mean, you're talking about, it, it was beyond small talk. It was like real miniature talk. I said, you know, it's easy getting down there, but I'd like to see you get up. That's what I told him. And he got up. He was a young guy, maybe 40 or something like that. <laughs> to, me that to me, that's young. And so he's an Orthodox Jewish guy, had the head covering and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he said, oh, man, I know. I've I got to stretch. I've been on this plane all day. Small talk. Where did you fly from? That's not exactly... Uh, you know, John's gospel in the original Greek. <laughs> Where'd you fly from? Small talk. Oh, uh, uh, New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. Yeah. You live there? Small talk. Do you live there? No. Were we visiting family? No, no. I was here on business. Ah. 
Small talk. What kind of business? He said, I'm a financial advisor. Oh, man, this must be a rough day to be in your line of work. I mean, you were talking small talk. He said, oh, yeah, it is. And we're just talking about stuff and where are you going? He says to me, I'm going to Israel. How often do you go, he says. I don't know, a couple times a year. Why? I said, well, now I'm with a group of people. And we're a church group. And we're going there to serve the people of the land. Why? I said, that's a good question. And a few years ago, I would have asked myself that question. I just got to tell you something. I'm one of those people who's a Jew who believes that Jesus is our Messiah. Have you ever heard of people like me? He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, while this whole conversation is going on, two ultra-Orthodox guys, black hats, curls, the whole deal, are seated right there. And this guy is absolutely unashamed about our conversation. It's rather loud. Not an argument, just a conversation. These guys are listening. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. They're going to, like, kill me on the airplane. <laughs> We're just going. One-hour conversation. I got to go through all of Isaiah 53. Leviticus 17.11. We memorized that. Our group memorized this stuff. All kinds of stuff. He gave me his name. He gave me his email. I gave him my email. He put me in touch. He wants me to contact his uncle in Allentown, Pennsylvania or something. I don't know. His uncle sells stuff. You know. <laughs> but his, his name is Akiva. Akiva. If you could remember to pray for Akiva. I'm thinking... I had nothing prepared. It was no standardized work the system, you know. It was intensely small talk, which God, the Holy Spirit, turned into an opportunity. My dear friends, learn to engage in small talk. Don't be so quick to unload the gospel gun. If I said, hey, I don't even know your name, will you answer these 10 questions? about the most significant thing in your life. No, I don't know you and I don't really care. I just want to go back and report. <laughs> I would have vaccinated this guy against Christianity. In fact, at the end, he said, look, you know, I tell you something. I don't believe what you believe, but I got to give you this. You seem normal. I can't tell you. That is like a major deal because Orthodox people think people like me are not soville You seem normal. This belief system seems to have had a good effect on you. Then I said, Akiva, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be praying for you. And he said, I expect that you would. And he said, I'm going to be praying for you. And I said, I expect that you would. That was it. I was floating. Now, Vinny over there has a story to tell, but we're not going to give you time now because I'm more interested in hearing from me. <laughs> Vinny had an unbelievable encounter that was a, just a divine encounter. And he's in touch w with a young guy about 26 or something over there. And they're doing email stuff. And Vinny's giving him assignments even now. But here's my point. Uh, I think we've got to change our evangelistic methodology. That's just not Middle Eastern stuff. That's next-door neighbor stuff. Get in conversation. Get in interaction. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to have friends. <laughs> now I just have targets. 
People know we're targeting them. How about make friends? If we are inhabited by the Most High God, don't you think he's going to reveal himself? We went to be living proof of a loving God to a watching Akiva. You see what I mean? So we don't have glowing reports. If you said how many professions of faith, how many this, how many that, I'm going to say God only knows. You know, all I know is we planted seeds, we had conversations, we represented the Lord, and I'm going to have to leave the results to him. Some people say, well, that's not a missions trip. Those are people who I never want to go on a missions trip with. They don't know what they're talking about. They see evangelism as an event. It's not. It's a process leading up to the event. Okay. So, yeah, Barry. Oh, you say two. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, there's a place for the uh, for the evangelist who who quickly presents the gospel and and sees fruit. But f- that's the gift of evangelism. But for most of us, it's going to be a little more the relational process. And if you don't see that, then you won't be in the process. You'll say, well, I'm not like so and so. In other words, I'm not like Stella. Sorry, Stella. <laughs> Randy was telling me about Reuben. Uh, who came to know the Lord uh, in Stella and Randy's class and whose wife came to know the Lord just about a week ago. And this is the gift of evangelism. Those are people who God uses to be that last link in the chain. But I got to tell you, it takes links that have preceded. You see, for most of us, we're going to be those those links. All right. Stella, are you mad at me? Okay, good. good. Then I know you're feeling good. All right. We should pray, huh? Hey, can I tell you this? Your God understands what you're going through. He was here. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. If he wasn't on the human side, you'd be afraid. Oh, you'd be afraid to open up your heart to share your struggles. Instead, now you can do so. And he says, I know, I know. I experienced hunger. I rejoiced at weddings. I got tired. I know what loneliness is. I've experienced rejection. I know what it is to people to talk about. Don't you see? That's the kind of God we have. Emmanuel, God came near. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming the first time. Boy, do we look forward to your coming the second time. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. See you. No class next week. No class next week. 7 o'clock baptism at the cross. Patriotic service to be followed by fireworks. Bring a lawn chair.